welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first-year initiatives. Happy Friday, everybody. We are just so excited to be here today with uh, Naomi and Andrea, who are going to give us an introduction of themselves, but talking about 2023 in higher education, I gave them kind of a hard task. I said, I want you to come to me with your one word that like summarizes um, the year in higher ed. Um, but I have, of course, as always, other questions um, for our amazing panelists today. So um, just a reminder, it's always easy to share our podcast um, with colleagues or friends friends who um, couldn't be with us today, um, but you want to make sure, I think this pairs nicely with a cup of tea um, or a good walk around um, your campus. Um, always want to share some resources. This came up this week. Um, it's by the president of Western Governors University, um, five questions for higher ed to be mindful of in 2024, which I think speaks to some of the themes I anticipate um, us talking about today. So uh, we were supposed to have a couple of other colleagues with us, Maria Poindexter and Reggie Strobel, both had uh, family situations that unfortunately meant this morning they weren't able to, able to hop on our call. Um, um, but we're so thrilled to have Naomi Sig and Andrea Harris with us representing, we actually span the whole country today. Um, we got the East Coast, we got the Midwest, we got the West Coast um, represented. So with that, I'm going to pause for a second. And um, Naomi, if you'll kind of kick us off, just tell us where you are, your role, some transitions this year, and then Andrea will kick it to you. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, and welcome, everyone. Thanks for spending some time with us today. My name is Naomi Sig. I go by she, her pronouns, and I currently serve as the vice president for student experience and campus belonging at John Carroll University, which is located in Cleveland, Ohio. So I'm the Midwest part of that um, spanning of the country. Um, and so, you know, um, you know, as Meg was saying, you know, I had a transition in October. Um, I formerly was the vice president for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging here at John Carroll. And in October, I transitioned into this new role where in addition to doing all the DEIB work, I also um, work now with all the student affairs departments. So everything from residence life to intramural sports to student engagement, orientation, dean of students, wellness, all of those, plus um, all of our DEIB offices, which include things like our Center for Student First Inclusion or Student Accessibility Services. Um, those things fall within our division. And I'm really thrilled to bring those two areas together because one, they've always worked together in, in a lot of capacities. They've always collaborated. But this is a real opportunity for our campus to um, integrate those areas in a way where we're all focused on the student experience very intentionally. Um, and we're all, we're all focused on ensuring that we have um, a foundation of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the work that we do. So um, I'm thrilled to be able to do that here at, a, at one of our um, 27 Jesuit Catholic institutions in the country. And so, um, you know, I'm, I've been in higher ed for almost 20 years. Um, and I've also worked at a variety of different places um, from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, to Washington University in St. Louis, to Case Western Reserve University. I've been able to see a variety of different types of institutions um, at sizes, uh, you know, uh, religious institutions, non-religious, R1. So um, higher ed is my home. It is my passion. It is what I believe I'm supposed to be doing in my life, which is, I think, a blessing when you've been able to find what you mm -hmm. love and um, and feel very 
useful and helpful to others. So um, that's just a little bit about me. Uh, thank you, Naomi. And I mean, you're at the intersection of uh, just such an important, the work that you do is so important. But this year in higher ed, when we think about DEI, I mean, that's got to be one of the major trends of hot topic discussion, I feel like in 2023 um, in our in our world. And so, and I'm sure that will not change as we move into 2024. So um, yeah, so thank you. And we will, we, we will peel apart that onion just a little Perfect. bit more. Yeah. Um, Andrea Harris, welcome back. So Andrea has come on the podcast before, as has Naomi, um, and, and spoken to us as gentle reminders to take care of ourselves, um, which we're not always the best at prioritizing, I think, in our, our world. Um, but Andrea, welcome. And, and you're representing the West Coast today. Um, so. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm the early person. So it's nine o'clock my time. Uh, I do still have coffee from the morning. So I mean, just the weirdest thing we uh, my son goes to school really far from where I work, which is Pepperdine University, and it's in Malibu through a canyon. He goes to school in the opposite direction. So we found that there's a bus that he can take. Um, but he has to be there at seven o'clock in the morning and I have to drive him. So I have been up for some time working, which is um, a blessing. So um I oversee two departments at Pepperdine. I work primarily with the undergraduate students. It's the residential program for us. We're um, the largest school for Pepperdine. Um, and I oversee the staff academic advisors and also the frontline student services. Um, and my title's long and boring. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, I view my work as, as the greatest blessing that I can imagine because I get to show up and be with people and walk with them on their path, whatever their path is. And, you know, and that it sort of sounds vague, um, but, you know, based also listening to having listened to what Naomi said, um, when you know that you're in the right place or, or in the right frame of mind to be of service to other people, it's huge. And the benefits go both ways. So for me, I love my work. Um, I sit uh, on the student care team as the academic rep, which means that when somebody is having a very difficult time uh, and it affects their classes, I get to meet with them also and figure out how to navigate um, from point A to point B and get them the support that they need. Um, I have a lot of difficult cases. It is uh, an honor for me to work with them. Uh, I do, uh, as Meg said, care very deeply about the wellness of my colleagues across the country, even whether or not I know you, we all have lives. We have stuff going on outside of our jobs. And some of that stuff is very difficult and very important. And I, I never want any of us to neglect it or neglect ourselves because then we're not going to function in any area of our lives. So I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited. And I do like heavy metal music and I'm happy to discuss it at any opportunity. <laughs> Well, Andrea, that's a wonderful reminder that if anybody has um, questions, thoughts, you want to throw in your word of 2023, feel free to put that in the chat. Um, I'll monitor the chat um, throughout our conversation today. If you have a favorite song, um, you know, that you want to make sure we we get to listen to before um, a new year uh, launches, whether that's heavy metal, um, Taylor Swift, or um, you know, some temptations. I mean, it doesn't, you know, we span the gamut here um, in, in music preference. Um, as always, I, I try to shape some questions um, for us to talk about um, in our conversation. And as I mentioned earlier, when I reached out and said, would you come on, let's talk about um, this really fascinating year, I think it's been in higher ed. I don't 
I don't really know if I can, I mean, COVID was certainly something, but this year has been something else entirely. Um, I ask for our, our our esteemed panelists to share the word that best captures this year, kind of, um, in higher ed. And so um, you both have fascinating words um, and very different I, I, I kind of takes. And so we'd love to know why you chose it, why you feel like it's particularly significant this year, and um, any, you know, just hop on, whoever wants to, to kind of take a first um, jump on the conversation. And Naomi, I'll pick on you just because your yeah, mic's not. I'm happy to to start. Yeah. So the word that I chose for this year is belonging. Um, you know, I think, you know, as you talked about this year being just very unique, it has been. It's been it's been sort of a nonstop emotional roller coaster for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And as we've kind of come out truly out of the pandemic. I think everyone, whether it's a student or a staff or a faculty member, has been thinking, you know, where do I belong in this sort of evolved higher ed landscape? You know, we're not in, we're not the same. We're not going to be the same. I think there's a lot of folks who want to say, oh, we're back to normal, whatever that is. I don't think we're back to normal. I think we've, we've changed. And so a lot of folks are thinking, okay, so as a worker, where do I belong in this new sort of changed um work environment as students um, who are, you know, coming out of, you know, um, their experience in the pandemic. Um, how do I belong at my institution? Where do I find a deep sense of belonging um, based on the identities that I hold? I think those are questions that I've seen people um, kind of grappling with this year. And what, where does higher education belong within society? I think that's another question that has really become sort of um, more on in the spotlight as we look at a variety of different legislations and Supreme Court decisions, we know that higher ed has been sort of um, really kind of looked to as as you know what what's the place that we hold for for our our, our general society in the world, and so um, that word really kind of sticks out to me. And I always talk about belonging because here at John Carroll, um, that was the word that I sort of brought with me when I started here. We you know it might original title was Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And one of the things that as I did my listening tour, I was hearing from folks is there's something special here. People just really find connection here. They, um, you know, alumni are very, you know, uh, involved and connected to the institution long after they've left. And so what I kind of came to as, as you know, sort of um, deducing all of that information was that they somehow folks were finding a deep sense of belonging here. You know, they were finding... Um, communities and places in which they could be all of who they were authentically without judgment, that they were um, appreciated for what they were able to bring. And so, you know, I really love the quote that some folks might have seen. It's it's like, you know, a photo that says diversity is a fact, which is true. It's a fact everywhere we go. People have diverse backgrounds, identities and beliefs and perspectives wherever you go. Um, you know, so, you know, equity is a choice. It's a choice to say, hey, we're going to serve all of those diverse populations within our community. And that's something that we will do through through our policies, through our programs. And inclusion is the action. It's it's how are we asking people um, to join us at the table. And then if we do all of those things, you know, and, and can make sure that that all works together well, then the outcome is that 
folks are finding a sense of belonging. Um, folks are feeling as though they are physically, psychologically, emotionally, culturally safe and appreciated and belonging is, is that outcome. So um, for me, I think of belonging as, as a lot of different ways. It's not just in the DEIB realm. It's it's in this sense of who are we as higher ed? How do we belong? You know, our, our staff, our faculty, how are they belonging to this new evolved higher ed landscape? So there, that's kind of the reason why I chose that word. And as we continue this year, um, as we've seen a lot of sort of um, challenges to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging or social justice, that is something that um, I think a lot of folks are continuing to talk about within higher education. You know, I love your perspective that and, and the word choice, and, and you're always so thoughtful about the words you use that you said higher ed has evolved. And to me, that that feels like there's hope and positivity in that. Um, cause I think of evolutionary processes and maybe this is my bias, right. As being something that points in a positive direction. I don't know. Um, but maybe I'm, I'm misassigning that, but I, I love how you weave in also this idea of our belonging. Cause this has been such a topic is what is kind of, what is the per- point and purpose of higher education? Um, you know, and, and this work that we're doing, is it, are we doing the things that we've, we purport that we value and care in our, in our communities, in our society? Um, and as we know, lots of discussion about, is college still worth it? Is it worth the investment of time and effort? Um, and, and so I hadn't thought about belonging. I had thought about it in the context of faculty, staff, and students belonging in our communities that we created our institutions, but I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of higher ed as an organization's belonging within our society. So thank you, Naomi. You always make me think so much. <laughs> I think that, I think we are the microcosm, the rest of the universe in a way. And so to both of your points, we have an opportunity because we're working with people whose minds are still exploding with new information that they're getting and and they're maturing as individuals. And we have basically one shot at getting them to view themselves as part of a larger community, whether it's their home, their family, their city, or their world. It doesn't really matter. And and there each of us has multiple communities. And so I think, you know, to both of your points, um, that's why it's great. The word that I chose is one humanity. Um, it's not really one word, as we know, but I, I you know, if I put a hashtag in front of it, it's like one word. Um, one we are one humanity. And with all of the division that we see every single day, uh, anyone who's on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. It's a cesspool. I will not call it X just so we know. Get that out there. Um, (laughs) It's a cesspool. People uh, speak out of turn uh, talking about things over uh, about which they have zero knowledge that is meant to elevate their perspective, but also uh, humiliate somebody else or render them irrelevant. Um, that's on Facebook, people are doing it on Twitter, people are doing it on Instagram, people are showing their best lives and not talking about the crap they're dealing with as well. But to the extent that we can view ourselves as part of one humanity, we can always find something in common with somebody else, which is enough for us to be able to respect them. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you voted for, I do care partly, right? Uh, As an example, but if I can see that you love your dog, we have that in common. 
And so I think that um, as we face uh, uh, government uh, issues, political issues around the world that really seem uh, set to divide us as people, if we can start at our home institutions as viewing by viewing ourselves as one humanity, uh, it changes how we interact with students. Um, if you have a student who is performing horribly, we have a, I'll give you an example. We have a student who is trying to uh, extend his uh, eligibility for financial aid. So he can go overseas for the third time. Most of us don't think he needs to be getting aid from the university to go for the third time on an international program. Um, and it's very frustrating because this person has been rude at points and all these things. But when I look at that person and think to myself, when is this person ever going to have the opportunity to go somewhere else again and not have to worry if he can pay for it or not? If I can make it happen for him without violating either the integrity of the institution or our financial aid laws, regulations and internal policies, why wouldn't we do it? And that is because I said to myself, we are one humanity, even though this person's really ticking me off, I can see the value that he has. And I understand his perspective. I may not agree with it, but I get it. And when we get it, and when we can see each other as interconnected people, we are one step closer to being the happiest, most grateful community individuals uh, possible. Mm. So... Off the soapbox now. <laughs> yeah, no, like nodding her head. And um, it, it's such a good reminder. Uh, you know, we, we, and I feel for our students. I mean, I think that um, no matter what the age of the people you are parenting, you know, or, or teaching or working with, um, they feel like our world is very divided because those are the messages they're receiving. Um and and we talk about this a lot at our just in our own home, right? That that's not that's the perception. That's not necessarily the reality, right? That a lot of very legitimate organizations are telling us, no, we're actually much more united in our thoughts. And you know, like so I, I feel for our students because it's got to be just such a we would like you to go to, you know, take all of your classes, go to every class, do all of your homework on time, and at the same time, worry about the state of the world. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility, um, often on on pretty, on, on shoulders that um, are trying to do a lot of other things too. So yeah, can I uh, add I'd something? Am I allowed, Meg? Yeah, always. Thank that. you. Um, we had, I'm not, and some of you might know this, but uh, in October, four of our students were killed uh, after uh, there was a mixer that was university sponsored. There was no alcohol involved. And we had four young women standing, uh, waiting for their car to come and pick them up. And somebody else was speeding down Pacific Coast Highway, hit a car, it hit them, and they were instantly killed. Uh, these were all, all four of these students were set to graduate this year. Um, and so our community has been reeling from the loss of each of the, these women were extraordinary, extraordinary women, each one so unique, so different, so special, so accomplished in their own right, snuffed out. And when you have in your head that I am the professor, I am the administrator, I am here to care for these people, and this is my job to get them from point A to point B, and you view it as transactional, um, it's problematic when a situation, something like this comes up, God forbid it should happen to anybody else. Um, and, and so I think that part of all of this and, and us working together and us serving our communities is also allowing them to know that we're also human.
Mm -hmm. uh, things happen. You know, Naomi, you have such a huge, impressive, fantastic responsibility, but somebody might take you off at home and there's a mess you have to clean up. So it's okay if you're in a bad mood one day and you can explain it to people and say, here's my first world problem is my dog took a dump in the living room and I had to clean it. Now I'm late. We missed a bus. Um, or in our case, I knew some of the students and it's a devastating loss. And I'm going to sit and cry with you as I talk to you about how you go back to a classroom where you have an empty seat next to you. Um, and I think, again, it is a microcosm for the for the rest of the world. You know, if we are able to be that way and show our vulnerability and our humanity, it makes it easier for our students to navigate 500 other things that they're doing because they see that there's space for being human, too. Mm -hmm. And we have to for ourselves and for them. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. And, you know, one of the values that I think has been helpful for us here at John Carroll that we try to ensure that all of our students understand is the is what we call cura personalis, which is care for the whole person. And that speaks so much to what you're saying. And also the other piece of it that we're also trying to teach our students is cura propria, which is care for oneself. Because that's, you know, I think that's a huge part of the evolution of higher ed too, is this idea that, you know, I remember when I first was in, uh, you know, my grad program for higher ed, there was this sort of, you know, okay, you're going to, you're going to have your first job and you're just going to have to work all the time and you're going to have to suck it up. You're doing it for the students and, you know, it's going to be really hard and you're going to work 80 hour weeks and that's just the way it is. Right. And now we sort of evolved to, you know, how are we caring for the people who are caring for others? You know, are we, you know, we're seeing more research on things like vicarious trauma and how are we helping folks who every day, day in, day out are listening to folks who are sort of sharing their experience of microaggressions, bias, discrimination, um, Title IX incidents, conduct issues. You know, I, I think we we have started thinking about that a little bit differently. Or folks who are working in the residence halls, you know, you don't have the same type of separation or, or work-life separation that, that others do in other types of roles. And what does that do? What toll does that take on you and your, you know, mental health, your family, your just whatever it may be. And so like, this is, this is something that we have to talk about in higher ed, I think more intentionally. Um, and that humanity is so important too, because uh, just like you said, I think what we do is we rely so much on what technology tells us is reality and not so much on the reality in front of us, which is the person sitting in front of us. And um, we have to respond to all of these hard things with empathy, which means you're responding with the right emotional response to folks. Um, and I appreciate so much what you said about this transactional approach that a lot of times we see in higher ed is, this is my job, I'm going to do this because the formula says if X, then Y, versus, you know what, let's just be real. Let's just say, yeah, that was horrible. I'm so sorry. That, that doesn't make sense. Or this, you know, maybe we got to change the way we do it um, and not be so rigid in how we look at things. And for me, it's, it's you know, of course, moving from transactional to transformational, but then moving from transformational to transcendent. I think that's something we need to think about. What does that look like too? And, and I'm struck by, you know, something that both of you have, I, I think, said so eloquently here, but during the pandemic, we really, unfortunately, I think just because of the nature of life at that time, got into a place of doing a lot of transactional work. 
I think learning was transactional. I think, you know, okay, I need, you need advising. Well, we're going to fill out this form and I'll send you an email. Like that just became the nature of, of how we interacted. And so I do feel like there's this interesting kind of, we're sort of having to relearn. I mean, I think that, that we can be transformational, hopefully on a journey then to be transcendent. I like if I think, and Naomi, correct me if I'm not using terminology correctly, but that's, that's not something we like kind of resolve overnight though. Is that, I don't know if you're seeing any of that sort of relational experiences with in students and faculty staff at your institutions. I think it's about how we care about everybody. You know, I've always been taught by some great mentors of mine is that a healthy campus is one where students, faculty, staff, community partners, alumni are healthy. So we're focusing on everyone, not just on one population. And I think for a long time, we haven't focused on, you know, those who work at the institution in a way that was intentional. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the pandemic showed a lot of people that, you know, my worth and my value is more than what others have taught me. And so they they left the, the 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 profession. A lot of them left. And I think we are starting to realize, you know what, we need to think differently about how we do this work. We need to take care of the people who are doing the work and we have to train the people to do the work well, because that's the other thing is you can't expect someone who has no understanding or training or experience to be able to do those things. Um, and so the education has to be happening everywhere at the institution. Mm-hmm. So um those are, you know, just some things that I think about all the time, you know, having a larger division with a lot of staff, um, you know, full-time staff, part-time staff, student staff, graduate students. Um, so it's important for us to be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I think like one thing that was interesting to me during COVID is we all were thrust into it at approximately the same time, you know, with, a, with the exception of a couple of outliers in some states where it wasn't required that you not be at, at you know, at your institution or at your job or wherever you worked. But so for most of us, we were all, I think, felt like we were hanging on by a thread. Mm-hmm. Um, so our students as well, because they, you know, our students come to Pepperdine, it's on the beach. Like, why wouldn't you, right? It's gorgeous. And so for them, they're in this wonderful place. There are movie stars every time they go to the market or even CVS. You go and buy, I don't know, like scotch tape. And there you see an actor walking around getting a prescription. It's fun. And all of a sudden, they're back in their homes where maybe the life wasn't exceptional, maybe it wasn't even decent. And they're having to, uh, people lost their jobs, people lost their lives. Um, And we so got used to sort of hunkering down there. And then when we came back, it's like, this is great. We're back together. What do we do and how do we do it? And I don't really know if you're sneezing because you have an allergy or because you're gonna kill me with your COVID, right? but what I think I'm seeing now, and I'll, I'll add to it also that for me, I was happy in going back, but uh, I cared for anyone who doesn't know or who does know any, I'm sorry. I cared for my mother who uh, was dying of dementia throughout COVID because her uh, her services stopped, but I also worked the entire time. And so that was what to my point before about people having to manage multiple things at once that other people maybe don't realize. So sometimes I was in this house with my mother in the next room, um, who had no idea what I was doing, but I was having a meeting with the student. And a, about a month after she passed, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I spent the last year remotely working again. 
and trying to do everything that I could to ensure that I still managed my departments, was present for people, albeit virtually. But I did it because it mattered to me and it helped me to remember who I was. You know, and that I was, yeah, I was so many, I was more than a cancer patient and I was more than a parent or more than this, more than that. I was the sum total of all the parts. What I'm seeing now is that we're sort of bounced back in a way to a point where um, students are still expecting the same grace and latitude they got during that time period. And maybe our faculty and administrators don't want to give it to them because now we're back. So you have no excuse. No, I'm not going to just zoom you in on Thursday because you want you have to go to an appointment. So I think it's and that's what I'm noticing now over the past year. There's an expectation on the part of people to have what they had before, which was by necessity. And, and, and understandably, if we did it then, there's really nothing stopping us from doing it now because the science is there, the tech is there, and we've set it up. We just don't want to necessarily. And I think that's what's interesting to me. And I don't know about other people at their institutions. Are any of you um, who maybe had a, a remote day allowed once or twice a week? Now somebody's, you know, in the administration is looking at it to see if maybe that's not the best thing for, for the institution. We have that where we are, that they're looking very closely and saying, well, if you're on the front line, maybe we don't maybe you do need to be there even if no one's on campus there we can't really justify you working from home and my argument to that is always that it is it is of importance and psychological benefit to the staff member to not have to drive into work one day and to be able to sit and actually get work done in an easy chair wearing pajamas and I don't have a problem with that if it makes them happy because I have found that I'm far more productive at home than I am when I'm in the office because I'm not chatting so those are the things that I'm noticing. And I don't know, I really don't know what the solution is. But oftentimes you have administrators who are sitting all the way up here saying, well, according to our bottom line, it's this, 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 and this. And the people on the ground are saying, yeah, but we need this. I need to be able to go to Target once during the day. My pharmacy closes at six and I can't get there after work. So things of that nature. And so I that's why what Naomi, what you shared, um, we have to be looking at all of that. And yes, the wellness of the staff is a paramount paramount importance and um, so I don't have an answer for that it's just what I'm noticing uh, these these changing trends and um how we're working where we're working are things moving back and and um and I find it interesting that we're still talking about I again I'm coming back to Naomi's our evolved space right in higher ed um because that that we're still talking about well, have we returned to normal? I mean, I'm still hearing people talk about that. And I'm like, I don't, I think that was, that's long past. <laughs> that We shouldn't even say that phrase anymore. Um, so I'm going to adopt Naomi's for 2024 that we've evolved. What well, as we're thinking about this, you know, year, um, yes, the new normal, as we're thinking about this year of 2023. So we've talked about belonging. Naomi's helped us touch on, um, some of these, the Supreme Court decision this summer that was, um, you know, such an important one for for our space. Are there some other trends that you're like, we can't wrap up 2023? Um, and I think, Andrew, you've discussed an important one, this changing nature of the work we're doing and how we're doing it and whether or not we can. I mean, 10 years ago when I was hired as a remote employee, it was like a shocking thing, right? Nobody had ever done that before. Could you really do this? And you can, right? Uh, at a college, as we've discovered. So other trends. 
think it's freedom of speech. You know, mm-hmm. we have um, the war in the Middle East as an example. Uh, people are getting canceled. People are vilified. People are beaten. People are screamed at. And that's just one thing, you know, I mean, that's in the end. And I picked that one because I have family affected by it. So it's never far from my head. Um, but it's such a deeply nuanced issue. And yet, if you're a faculty member or a staff member, uh, you know, people and, and anywhere, actually, you have to be really careful what you say, lest somebody might take it the wrong way. And I um, am always of the opinion that you don't get over something like that unless you actually have a discussion with someone that you don't agree with. How hard could it be? You know, you have your opinions. You can back up why you have them. So can they probably have the discussion. And I think that that is going to be something that we uh, we really have to look at on our campuses because people just say things when it suits them to say it. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. Um, and it's it's very difficult to ensure that you're able to express your opinion in a way that's safe for everyone to receive it. And so what ends up happening is either somebody will say something completely off the wall or they say nothing and walk around with resentment. And so I don't want to be, and also in some states too, for even forgetting the war in the Middle East, you know, um, I had a conference in Orlando that I went to and I called the hotel first and said, are my, uh, are my transgender uh, colleagues who are going to come visit me in my hotel going to be safe at my hotel? And they said, yes, absolutely, because it matters to us and and everybody is treated with respect. And I never should have had to make that phone call. Mm. Um, And and there were people there who didn't like the people that I was visiting with. And I saw that, too. And so I think it's going to be interesting to navigate as we close out this year what comes next because these issues are not going away and so how do we um how do we create environments where people are able to have opinions but express them respect respectfully enough that the people listening can get past being agitated that there's a disagreement and actually find a solution and find what you have in common and uh, naomi i feel like you and i have had these discussions and other other places about how do we help our students, our faculty, our staff, our communities. I mean, and you do work that is outside of, of the confines of the university, right? To have these kinds of civil uh, discourse. So, yeah, I think that's a, it's a big one that I, I myself am working with the institution I'm at to start developing true, you know, dialogue skills. So when I was at a former institution, we had a dialogue program that I think really did teach students, faculty and staff. So it was a program for everyone at the the campus, how to talk to people, how to talk to people you disagree with, how to talk to people with different opinions or experiences or identities or perspectives in a way that you still saw their humanity, as, as you know, I think Andrea is talking about, in a way where you could suspend judgment, you could suspend sort of that anger, fear, all the things that our old brains usually make us do when we have somebody that's different than us, which is to do those flight, fight, freeze, you know, fawn, fumble, all that stuff, um, and try to kind of stop that in the moment by being more reflective and and understanding that that happens. I think just like with, as I teach people about microaggressions, I'm like, it comes from the bias that we all have. We all have it. It's not just some people, it's everyone. I have biases. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how to unlearn things. And I've done DEIB work for a long time. No one's immune. And so um, I really do believe that in 2024, institutions have to take some time and effort, particularly in election year, um, on how we get students and, and faculty and staff to, to really understand how to talk across difference in not just civil ways, but in ways that are open to 
allow you to change, you know, mm-hmm. allow you to, to take that word as word, those words as gifts that either help you one, be more solid in what you believe and value and, and, you know, think is your truth, but then also could be a gift in that it helps you change your mind or think differently or come to new knowledge or understanding about something. And so I, I'm a big believer in creating space for dialogue. And um, we'd worked with several different dialogue programs, you know, intergroup dialogue, the University of Michigan's program, sustained dialogue, campus network, through sustained dialogue international. Um, and I'm a big fan of, um, you know, Margaret Wheatley's poem. I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with her work, but, you know, I love the part of the poem that says, um, you know, talk to people you know, talk to people you don't know, talk to people you never talk to. And remember that you don't fear people whose stories, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. And we come from a place of fear a lot. And that's why we can't have conversations. Um, And so how do we teach this generation? And I feel it's my responsibility in the work that I do to help teach folks how to do that. Um, And if we can, if we can do that, I think we would change a lot of things and and move towards a positive, a positive path. Um, but it's hard because, you know, it's not something, it's something we have to work on and to catch ourselves. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, a big part of next year. And I hope that folks will take a moment to try to, to do that difficult work. Mm-hmm. And such important work. I mean, when we think about going back to our initial conversation about understanding what is the purpose, the belonging of higher ed in our society. I mean, you think about how transformational it would be if, Every institution said, we're going to really prioritize this next year dialogue and learning about how to be in dialogue with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a game changer and because all the everyone else, if you learn a skill, even as an adult at my ripe old age, if I learn a new way of interacting with people and I go to the grocery store, I'm going to treat people with that, you know, through that lens. And that may impact their day and how they are. And they'll go home to their families and maybe do something differently than they would have. And I think what we tend to be so insulated in our worlds, especially Mm -hmm. when we're busy at the end of the year, we have end of term processing. It's like, oh my gosh, all this has to get done. We don't realize the ripple effect we have just by saying good morning to someone who's a stranger on the street. Um, And it's all of that. Um, But I think like the other thing that sort of plagues me is that prices are going up. So students who maybe used to be able to attend a private school like mine or any other school, fees are going up even at state schools, they're priced out of the market. And so um, I think that's something that we're going to have to look at over the coming year is are we now only a school, any of us, is our school a school for people who have means? Or are we making it possible for people who don't to join our community? And that's something we're trying very hard. We have a program for foster students. We have a program with the Posse Foundation. But that's like 60 students out of 3,400. And we went up in cost because it was the cost of living. But nobody else's pocketbook went up with that. So we have people who still don't have jobs after COVID or have changed uh, situations. People who got sick, who their money's going elsewhere. And all of a sudden, you have people who are in their third year of school who can't afford to stay at your school. 
And mm-hmm. so I think those are that's only going to get worse, in my view, uh, as things change. Um, and, you know, with inflation being what it is, you know, people can't change their living arrangements in California. Real estate's crazy. And I don't mean to be bleak. I know it sounds so bleak. But the second that we know that these things are going on, that's when we can start looking at making things possible for people to help them and to give them access where they sorely need the access. And to the extent that we can do that and diversify our student body, our our faculty body, our staff body, we are so much better for it. But it has to be intentional because it's so easy to sit in your ivory tower and be like, well, whatever, if they can pay, they'll come. Well, who are these people? These are people whose parents are making it. You know, somebody said to me yesterday, she said, well, my dad's a cardiothoracic surgeon. So I, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, you know, my dad uh, had a metal <laughs> metal uh, plating facility and my mother was a travel agent. So, you know, think about that. And I was able to go to a school that the school that I did because my grandma died and left my family money. And that, you know, I don't wish someone to die to make it possible for someone to to attend my institution. We absolutely have to do better. And I'm committed to it. I will dialogue with anybody about how we can do it. Um, but I, I'm loud um, and it matters. Yeah, no, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, for us in higher education, we have to remember that right now in the United States, 16 year olds and younger are mostly students of color. So what does that mean for the changing landscape of higher ed and how we're going to meet the needs of students coming from different identity backgrounds? How are we going to ensure that you know students can afford to go to the institutions as we see already this year, everyone's scrambling because FAFSA is going to be later, which means everything's going to be later. Um, and we won't, you know, folks won't know what their packages are um, when, you know, during the time frame they're, they're used to. So there's going to be a lot of different changes this year. And, you know, the other piece of it is how are we going to let folks in, but how are we going to ensure that they're going to do well and be successful while they're there? And so a lot of focus has been on recruitment, diversifying folks. But, you know, I think it's always equally as important that retention and support are part of the conversation. It's, you know, I see other institutions where they want to let in students from, you know, maybe the, the local school district, but they don't do anything to ensure that when the students get there, that they've used an equity framework um, where they're not blaming the students for not having maybe the same type of academic preparation, but instead they're shifting the way in which they teach the students to ensure that they've got the preparation while they're there to move forward. And I think that's something that higher ed needs to shift towards is looking at things through a more, um, you know, equity minded lens, you know, the Center for Urban Education, um, you know, Estella Marvin Simon, all of her work. These are things that we should all be looking at. And for those in maybe sort of the student services, student affairs side, how are we looking at, you know, a shared equity framework, you know, shared equity leadership framework where we're all talking about it um, in all the areas that we're working, uh, working on, you know, whether you're in athletics or you're in residence life or you're in student advising or you're in, you know, uh, multicultural affairs, how are you creating equity for, for the students that you serve? Thoughts. We only have a couple of minutes. So I think you've done a beautiful job of talking about these, you know, things that we've seen this year in higher ed, how they're going to continue to kind of flow into next year. But I want to always leave kind of on a, I mean, it's Friday, we're, we're almost at the end of the semester, hopes and aspirations. If you could share kind of like your one hope for this coming year um, in in our wonderful, crazy world of higher ed, what would that be? I'll go. 
My hope for each and every one of us is that we are able to value ourselves the same way that we value other people. We give so much of ourselves to others around us. And even if that's our family and it's well-deserved, but we save the worst for ourselves. Um, so maybe take one thing that you're always critical about for your, about yourself and ditch it. You don't need it anymore. We can always, every moment is an opportunity to do di different or do better. Please value yourself. You have infinite worth. You are the only you in existence in this universe and we need you well. Please do it. And if you need a reminder, hit me up. I mean, my hope is that we do truly engage in dialogue across a variety of, of identities and differences in ways where we can, we really will learn and be changed by what we hear. You know, I, I, like I said earlier, I hope that we talk to people we know. I hope we talk to people we don't know. And I hope that we talk to people we never talk to. Love that. And I think that's such a good full circle way of thinking about the work that we do, right? Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't possibly do that that piece of of talking to others, caring for others. So um, so thank you all. Um, I have that we have hit our 45 minute mark. Um, I always leave conversations with both of you, both refreshed, but also reinvigorated for the work that we have to come. Um, so I feel this is a beautiful send off for this year and an exciting start to to next year. And I know I'll get to continue um, our good work here with you all. Thanks to everybody for listening today. We hope that your Friday has time and your weekend has time for rest and renewal as we sprint towards the end of the semester. It always feels like we come back from the Thanksgiving holiday and it's like a full-on sprint um, to the end of the term. So and please do join us again in the new year um, where we will continue to have fun and incredible conversations with colleagues from across the United States. So Naomi and Andrea, thank you so much for your time and um, the insights that you've shared with us today. We're really, really grateful for you. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.